Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is approximately a kilo and a half lighter since the lockdown haircut. So I'm Kevin Day in sunny South London (laughs) and he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire down there in Sussex, which is just as sunny, I imagine, and heady with the smell of fresh goat's cheese and lavender honey. Kieran, how are you? I'm very good, Kevin. I also have had my post-lockdown haircut and the my, my first feeling was just how cold it is without without having this sort of grizzly Adams on top of my head. It, my, my ears were freezing. It's just a terrible middle-aged man thing to complain about, isn't it? <laughs> I, 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 I queued up. It started snowing outside the barbers. and I, I came home. My ears were cold. It's terrible. Um, Kieran, I, I, I'd like to thank you, actually, and I'd like to thank Brighton, actually, for showing... Gary Neville and all those other bright and loving pundits at Sky that a nil-nil draw between two passing teams can be every bit as dull as any other nil-nil draw. Boy, was that painful. That was dreadful what? football. Wasn't it just? I, I, I joined in a pub quiz halfway through online. That's how bored I was. Um, later in the show, we will be hearing from Tom Markham, who recently became a director at Wigan Athletic following the Bahraini takeover. He's also head of strategic business development at SI, who made the game football manager and producer of a brilliant new football film, Kaiser. And we spoke to him about all those things, but mainly about Wigan and the good news at last for Wigan fans. But Kieran, it's Newsday, so let's have some news first. At Swindon Town and the club's owner and chairman, Lee Power, have been charged by the FA over breaches of regulations on working with intermediaries. Uh, I've seen a lot of concern on the socials from Swindon fans about this, none of whom seem entirely sure what that charge actually means, but are all very worried about potential outcomes. Yes, this isn't great by the sounds of things. Um, under uh, under FA rules, a football club cannot be owned by either a player or an agent because there are clear conflicts of interest. And in theory, um, Swindon Town Football Club, which are owned by a company called Seebeck 87 Limited, which in turn, when you delve into it even deeper, are owned by a company called Swinton Reds 20 Limited, are then owned by this bloke called Lee Power. And under normal circumstances, if you've got one person owning a football club, then all is tickety-boo in the sense that it's quite easy to sell. Lee Power tried to sell the club, um, I think a year or two ago, and then all of a sudden, a guy called Michael Standing, who is an agent, says, oh, you can't do that. I own half of it. And Lee Power says, uh, well, no, you don't own half of it. And it, when it went to a court case, and during the court case, Lee Power says, no, Michael Standing doesn't own half of it. Gareth Barry does. And people are going, what? The, and he's the, just getting, the, the, Gareth, the Barry. Gareth Barry. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And Michael Standing is Gareth Barry's agent. So according to this bloke, Lee Power, uh, Gareth Barry lent £800,000 because he can't buy shares in the club because he's not allowed to own it. And um, he was entitled to 50% of the profits um, and also 50% of the proceeds when, when the club was sold. So it's all getting 
very confusing. Um, but now the FA have said, what, what is all this that's going on? We think that you're, you're trying to pull the wool over the eye, our eyes and that it, it's either Gareth Barry or Michael Standing that have been involved with the club. They shouldn't have been involved with Swindon Town. Oh. Um, but nobody's quite certain who owns this 50% because Michael Standing appeared to be... Uh, uh, he, he's been charged as well by the FA, as has a company called... First Touch Professional Management, which is his agency company. They've been charged through uh, by the FA for owning a bit of Swindon when they're not supposed to own. Um, and then yesterday, Michael Standing, who has been a director of First Touch Professional Management since the day the company was formed, he mysteriously was removed from the list of directors. So it's it's all horrendous. And um, the the Swindon Town Supporters Trust have been trying to get to the bottom of this, uh, and you know it's it's an impossible task. Um, trying to get uh, to, to work out who owns the club, and if the club is sold, then who is going to be the beneficiaries? But their fear, and you can fully understand this, is that if the Football Association also end up charging the club, they could end up with a a points deduction. I'm sure you you recall in in the year that Swindon Town did get to the Premier League, there were some shenanigans taking place that year, and they were given an absolutely horrendous penalty. Yeah, on the back of this, so that that's where we stand at present. Um, it's fair to say that there's little love lost between Lee Power and the fan base because he's not been very keen to communicate to them. And also he's been claiming that the club has nearly gone into administration on more than one occasion, um, which means that the fans, of course, who, who love the club, just like all fans do, um, you know, they're becoming very nervous on top of this as well. We know from past experience, Kieran, that the FA don't always uh, choose the fairest outcome. But if if nobody can actually decide who owns the club, it would seem particularly unfair if it was the club that was punished, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Um, and I, I don't think this is a, a probable outcome, but equally, from the perspective of fans, given that the ownership of the club at best can be described as opaque, you can understand why they are nervous and why they that you know, they are asking questions. Um, to be fair to the local MPs, they've come out in support of the fans as well. Um, so we do need somebody to establish the, the position here. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be easy, and, and I don't think it's going to be solved particularly quickly either. Although it, it, you know, Lee Power has been trying to flog the club, and I think this was part of the issue which uh, led to the confusion between him and Gareth Barry and Michael Standing as to who were, who were to be the beneficiaries from the sale. Yeah, I think we also need to have a brief chat with somebody from the Swindon Town Supporters Trust, so maybe we can get Guy onto that. Just one more thing, Kim. You, I understand that a player can't be involved in own, owning a club. Does that include a player who plays for I mean, if, if God forbid, Palace were to get into trouble and Wilfred Zahar, for example, could buy the club, that wouldn't be allowed? 
No, that would not be allowed. That's 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 definitive per football association rules. Right. Okay. Um, any Palace fans listening, by the way, that's a purely hypothetical situation. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even asking for a friend. I'm just. I'm just making sure that you can't buy a club, even if you pay for that club, and don't intend to play for anybody else. Now, Kieran, uh, two stories coming up that we mentioned on Sunday, bizarrely, you were worried that the Derby takeover wasn't cut and dried and new details are now emerging, aren't they? Yes, uh, this is to do with the prospective owner, uh, Eric Alonso. Now, Eric Alonso is uh, 29 years old. He has a uh, he, he has a sports agency and he says, oh, you know, I've, I've got uh, Louis Figo, and Roberto Carlos, and you go, oh, right, that's that's pretty impressive. And then you start to um, then look a bit further. Okay, those are those are former players who aren't necessarily involved in football at present. I think Louis Figo is uh, involved at UEFA. He does a, does a really good job. He's a really smart guy. Roberto Carlos is is uh, is associated with uh, charities and football again. Fantastic role, but they're not really at the heartbeat of the game. Um, I went on to Transfer Market to to see if I could find out who the agency had on their books, and the the most uh, the most high profile player is uh, Bill Bow's reserve goalkeeper. So this isn't quite perhaps as glamorous, <coughs> excuse me, as Mister Alonso was claiming to be. He was also saying that his uh, his family has made money through uh, hotels and vineyards. Yeah, that, that's very good, but you know, the hotel industry isn't exactly booming at present. So, so that looked a bit strange. And then he's, uh, he's, been, very, uh, he's been very keen to engage with the media. Um, he claimed that um, he was, uh, and he was involved in some capacity at Sheffield Wednesday. He tried to buy the club, that didn't work out, and there was a big fallout between him and Delphon Chancery. Uh, he then claimed that uh, he was also trying to buy Cardiff City uh, Football Club, to which Cardiff's response was, "Well, just just hold on there. Um, you know, yeah, we we did have um, we, we did have a sort of effectively a phone call with him, um, and and that was just sort of a brief chat, but." Uh, we asked him to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and he wouldn't. And also, they asked him to, before they started to go into any serious negotiations, to provide proof of funds. And again, he he didn't. So it's it's a bit like my my mate Scratch Card. Um, he he once had a uh, an Instagram photo liked by <laughs> one of the women from Girls Aloud. And he then was claiming that she fancied him, and and I think it's yeah you know, this yeah it's this type of not quite as close a relationship as uh, one party is is claiming to have. Now it could be that uh, one of the girls from uh, Girls Aloud has a secret hankering for a forty-seven-year-old stationery uh, seller, but uh, you know I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced by that. So that that doesn't exactly present Mister Alonso in a particularly good light um he's also said that um as far as derby county is concerned he's saying all the right things but then you know there's there's right things and there's right things 
Uh, he says, yes, clearly our aim is to get into the Premier League. Ideally, our aim is to get into the Champions League. And I think Derby fans might be going, hold on. Um, that, that involves an awful lot of money. And he says, well, if, if it takes £150 million, pounds, um, you know, I, 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 can, I can do that. And I'm thinking, well, £150 million pounds won't actually get you very far at all. In fact, it, it won't necessarily get you out of the... Uh, it won't necessarily get you out of the championship, especially as we're still uncertain as to Derby County's position with regards to financial fair play, because there are outstanding charges from the EFL uh, in respect of their amortisation policy. So uh, his his claims do seem to be a little bit, uh, uh, you know, perhaps uh, over ambitious. Um, the company he has set up to acquire Derby County uh, is called No Limit Sports Limited, and it presently consists of two pounds in shares. Now, you and I could set up a company, put a pound in each, and you say, oh, we're going to use that to buy X, Y, or Z. So you do feel um, a little bit um, uncomfortable. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a, a, a very well-meaning guy, but does he have the resources? Um, you know, I think this was one of the our concerns in respect of him um, on on Sunday when we first discussed the issue. Um, there's some intriguing photographs of him um, where he claimed to be some sort of boxer as well. I think he he did uh, at one point. Uh, do some boxing. I think he got into the the Spanish Olympic squad. So his, his, his backstory is is intriguing, uh, to put it mildly. But um, this this story first broke around about a week ago. Um, you would have hoped by then that, or by, you know, by now, we would be in a position whereby the EFL have approved the bid, or uh, you know there, there have been there's been sign of progress. Um, We've seen nothing new from Derby since the initial announcement. So you just feel a little bit uncomfortable because we've been here once or twice before in terms of takeovers which were going to take place and didn't necessarily manifest themselves. Hmm. Uh, I, I barely know where to start, Kira, because there's a couple of things to unpack in that story. First of all, his company is genuinely called No Limit Limited, is it? No Limit Sports Limited. Okay, so No Limit, no limit Sports Limited. Uh, if, he's, if he's done that to be hilarious, that's, that's quite fun, but it's just, it just looks a bit odd, doesn't it? No Limit Limited. Um, yes. Uh, I've, I've worked with Girls Aloud. I can't imagine any of them turning up one afternoon in rehearsal saying, hello, girls uh, and Kevin, here's my new boyfriend, Scratch Card. Um, <laughs> yes. Why is he called Scratch Card? Is this one of those really simple nicknames? He's called Scratch Card because he buys a lot of scratch cards, or is it? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he turned up a pub. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I want a ten or a scratch card on Wednesday. I go, yeah. You spend a hundred quid, hundred quid a week on the damn things. Yeah, you, you're you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, fair point. Um, it's just I need to check these because yeah, you know, <laughs> you know what football nicknames are like. Yes. You know. <laughs> uh, like my mate's friend Donkey Head. Who, Turns out he's got a head the size of a donkey. He's not as clever as I thought. Um, more importantly, I, I, I paid attention in the, the question about Swindon Town. And I'm fairly certain that somewhere in there we established that an agent can't own a club. And yet Eric Alonso is an agent. Is that right? Yes. 
Yes. So, what what is the position of his agency? So it, it adds to the degrees of confusion. Um, is he just there as a frontman for a consortium, uh, and okay. will it actually be that the money is coming from other sources? And, and we did discuss this on. Uh, Sunday that there is potential Indonesian investment, but that uh, yeah, that's not guaranteed. Uh, it's all very confusing. Now, this is an odd one, Kieran, because on Sunday, just a few days ago, we had a question from Dave Bloom in Australia asking if a potential new owner of the club he supports, Central Coast Mariners, was a wrong'un. And now, days later, it seems that Manchester United are in talks to buy them. I'm, I'm hoping that they were listening to the pod and suddenly thought, well, here's a team that seems to be up for grabs. But why, why are Central Coast Mariners suddenly so sought after, Kieran? Um, I, I, it's a strange one. I mean, they, they had a bad season last year, but I think they're presently top of the uh, A-League. So that that would be indicative of they yeah. appear to be uh, playing well at present. Um, by all accounts, the owner of the club, a guy called Mike Charlesworth, feels he's taken the club as far as he can go. And because it's Australian uh, soccer, uh, as far as they're concerned, uh, it's a franchise. So there's talk about selling it to another bidder. And why Manchester United have been uh, linked is is slightly uncertain. But of course, we we do have the case of um, Manchester City owning a club in Melbourne who were originally called Melbourne Heart and are now called Melbourne City, and, and they've changed their kit colour, so it's more sort of in the city style. Um, Australia's a big market for football, um, and, and there's lots of potential players there. And you know we've seen the likes of Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka make a really positive impression on the Premier League historically. Yeah. Um, Manchester United did play a friendly against Leeds uh, a couple of summers ago in in Australia, and there were huge crowds. I think it was you know fifty five thousand turns up for for what, as far as Australia is concerned, is a minority sport. So it could be that Manchester United are thinking of dipping their toe into the multi club model because there's been talk about Liverpool doing this. Clearly, Manchester City are ahead of the game with regards to the multi-club approach. Um, And it could be that the Glazers now think, well, there's money to be made from spreading your costs and spreading some of your risks by by having football investments across the globe. But Australia is a big market, but mainly it's a big market for the Premier League, isn't it, rather than for its own football? Yes. I mean, I think you and I, we, we, we can remember our mums and dads playing the pools back yep. in the 70s when, and in the summer it turned into Australian football and you didn't have a clue about these clubs but it was just something to do with the pool and, and that's about as far as it ever went it, it, you know football doesn't get huge crowds over there um, you know it is competing against uh, Aussie rules rugby league rugby union and so on uh, in, in that in that time of year so I think it would be very challenging but it, from Manchester United's point of view there, there are some positives in that you could buy the club relatively cheap. Clearly, there won't be any language issues. Um, there are potential links via the Commonwealth in terms of visas. Um, so it, it could be that they feel that this could be a, an experiment for them, which would be relatively low risk and low cost. So I'm sure there'll be people listening to this 
asking the Brexit happening, this this means it's more likely that UK clubs will be looking to so-called Commonwealth countries than European clubs as, as feeder clubs, for want of a better word. Um, well, it, it it makes a lot of sense from from that perspective. I mean, I'm I'm not fully au fait with the visa issues, but um, you you can see the benefits from uh, the perspective of a Premier League club in in having a feeder club in somewhere like Australia. If it's if it's easier to then bring through players to the Premier League, I think Aaron Moy was a classic example for Manchester City yeah. in that they effectively recruited him. On a free transfer, he—I can't even find a picture of Aaron Moy in a Manchester City kit. And then they sold him to Huddersfield a year later for eight million because uh, he initially went on loan. Then, then they sold him. So there are—I think Manchester United and perhaps some other clubs have seen this as a vehicle through which they can make money um, for the the mothership, which is really useful for things such as financial fair play. Um, The PFA have written an open letter to all EFL clubs and players about squad sizes next season. Yes, um, as as you may recall, there was a dispute between the PFA and the EFL with regards to squad salary caps. And and we also, we were fortunate enough to have the the great Nick DeMarco um, on the show explaining how he worked on behalf of the PFA and successfully uh, overturned this. Well, the the EFL clubs also introduced, um, at the same time, um, squad limits in terms of the number of players. And I think these are 25 in the Championship and 20 in League One and League Two. The PFA argue that, hold on, we've got a collective bargaining agreement, and the nature of that means it's collective bargaining and they feel that there has been no consultation between the um, between the PFA um, and the EFL and that they're not happy about that. They did propose um, a 25-man squad limit on a temporary basis for all three divisions of the EFL for, for next season and they are claiming that if they did this, then they could then get around the table, sort things out, um, and this would reduce legal costs. I mean, the EFL's legal costs must be sky high, given all of the issues they've had to deal with. There's so many clubs that have been, uh, they've had disputes with who appear to have breaches of financial fair play, which is their duty bound to investigate. Um, but the EFL, so the PFA have also said, well, the, the EFL have rejected their proposal so, so where we go from here is is uncertain, um, and, and you've got to look at it from the perspective of, of all the different stakeholders. Yes, the owners are losing money in respect of clubs in the EFL, um, but we have young men whose careers are on the line as well. And um, yeah, so we, sometimes our our perception of footballers is is very much coloured by. They've, we think that they've all got glamorous lifestyles, but that's not the case in the lower leagues. No, of course not. Um, this is a very interesting one, Kieran. Kevin De Bruyne used data analysis instead of an agent to broker his new eighty-three million pound Man City contract. Yes, um, what, what Kevin De Bruyne did was that he he had an agent who um, 
who has ended up being arrested. Um, he was, in fact, he reported his agent to the authorities, and, and the agent has been arrested in relation to uh, money laundering and fraud issues when Kevin De Bruyne was at Wolfsburg. Um, and it, it appears that some transactions were processed through that that paragon of virtue uh, that is Liechtenstein huh. uh, in terms of its uh, its relatively relaxed approach to taxes. Um, so he uh, he was without open, an agent. Had to open in times in bars, as I can uh, attest. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> it's a lovely city, Vadu. It's very interesting. Very, cool. thin, very thin air. Thin air? Yes, high up, see. Oh, okay. Right, yeah. Does that, does that mean you have to drink more? I don't yeah. understand things. Yeah, biologically and scientifically, there's a link between uh, thin air and drinking more, apparently. Right, yeah. Something would have to explain the way I felt on the flight afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, and rather than uh, acquire himself a new agent, Kevin De Bruyne decided to negotiate his his own contract so therefore what he did he uh, he appointed a lawyer to check the small print he asked his dad for a bit of advice as well and he got in contact with a, a data analytics company um, because he wanted to show just what a contribution he has made to Manchester City effectively he was doing a, a glorified PowerPoint presentation of this is Kevin De Bruyne isn't he great um, which which is a which is an unusual way because effectively it's it's a it's a bit like a job interview um, where he's already there. Um, I think it's gone very well. I mean, you know, Manchester City clearly wanted to to keep him. Um, he seems happy enough in Manchester, so I, I know that you are thinking about Palace recruiting players this summer. I, I think I think he, he won't necessarily be on your radar anymore. Um, but all, all the parties seemed quite happy. And again, this is paper talk. He is now going to be the, the Premier League's highest paid player on £385,000 a week, which over the course of the remainder of his contract will take us to that figure of £83 million. Well, he's not our sort of player, Kieran, to be perfectly honest. All that all that running about, passing it to somebody with the same shirt on, scoring goals, he, wouldn't, he really wouldn't fit in. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because I understand they wouldn't take my word for it if I was to phone up Man City's bosses and say, Kevin De Bruyne is a really good player. But surely, of all the players in the world who doesn't have to prove he's a good player, Kevin De Bruyne has got to be up there, isn't he? He's a genius of a footballer. Yeah, it's it's, it's bizarre. Uh, I guess perhaps he he just wanted to have the backup data because, in in my view, Manchester City, and and we'll we'll be talking to Tom Markham later in the show, um, and, and they're, of course, big into analytics at uh, Football Manager. Um, but at Manchester City have got one of the best data analytics departments in, in all of football. So they must surely be aware of the significance of his contribution. But perhaps he felt he needed it for backup. Um, and, and clearly it's worked in the sense that uh, he's happy with the contract and so are the club. Yeah, see, I'm just I'm just fantasising about Kevin De Bruyne turning up at Sellers Park now with... Roy saying to him, this is Luka Milivojevic, you'll be mainly passing to him five yards and backwards is, is pretty much it. Um, but meanwhile, meanwhile, Raheem Sterling is setting up his own player agency, so he definitely won't be able to buy a football club, will he? Well, no, but he, he's another player who's fallen out with his agent, and, and this does appear to be 
occurring on um, you know on, on more than just an occasional basis. Um, so he, he, I think, he sacked his agent last year. Um, he also is planning to negotiate his uh, his next contract. Um, yeah, presumably, that will be with Manchester City. He's, he's been fantastic since going there. So, so what's happened? We have a company called Sixteen Ninety Two Sports Management Limited, um, and this is being formally run not by Raheem Sterling, as as we've established, that can't be done, but by his mum. Oh, okay. So she she appears to be the only shareholder. You know, how it will operate in terms of a day-to-day basis and the extent to which Raheem will be involved. I think it, I'm sure he'll take appropriate advice, um, but uh, he you know he can't be seen to be uh, buying a club. But could he be involved in an agency? I, I, that's that's an intriguing one. Mm, she could sign up Tom Ince's mum. That'd be quite useful. <laughs> yes. Um, and finally, because we've got this really really interesting interview to come with Tom Markham, but you've been doing a bit of number crunching about wage inflation in the Premier League here. Yeah, well, because the Brighton versus Everton match was so exciting, <laughs> I got my spreadsheet out. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, some people have been saying to me, uh, you know, how, how much have uh, player wages changed since the start of the Premier League? Has it made a huge difference? So since the commencement of the Premier League in 1992, Um, wages in the Premier League have increased by 2,811%. And we say, well, that's that's a big number, but it's it's just a mean, you know, numbers by themselves are meaningless. Can we can we put it into some form of context? So um, as uh, as as, as I was I was awaiting the next throw in in the Brighton versus Everton match, uh, I went on to the Office for National Statistics website. Um, and it said in 1992, when the uh, when the Premier League started, um, the average pint sorry the average price of a pint of lager was one pound forty six. Yeah. And if uh, if if uh, beer prices or if lager prices had increased at the same rate as Premier League wages today, a pint would cost you forty seven pounds and seventeen pence. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Okay, well, let's just pause there, Kieran, while all our listeners north of Watford go, well, so much it costs in London now. <laughs> hey! <laughs> that's, um, that, I, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah, normally it's a loaf of bread, Kieran, isn't it, the size of whales that we're interested in? But, yeah, so I, I, did it, I did it for a loaf of bread as well. Of course you did. Of course you did, Kieran. What was I thinking of? How, <laughs> how much would a loaf of bread be? £16.80. Which, to be fair, in one of your farmer's markets isn't far short, basically. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> 
I just love that. No wonder the, the Baroness is such a patient. The Baroness is sitting there thinking, well, this is a dull game. Maybe we'll get a, a, a bit of Scrabble together or some chat. But no, he's looking at the average price of a pint of beer in 1992. Uh, it, yes, that's very interesting. That is interesting. Any other, any other products? Well, I guess, I guess the one thing which affects us perhaps as football fans, that was the first year of satellite television. Oh. So... Um, you could get a subscription for £2.99 a month. Now, today, again, if it had risen as fast as footballers' wages, it would cost you £84 a month. And I was thinking, by the time you pay for Sky, BT and Amazon, and admittedly, you're getting a few more matches, but remember, in in those days, you used to get the the Champions League for free because – yeah, yes, it was on the BBC. Was, it was yes. on ITV, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes. Um, so, so today, you know, it, I, th- I think we're probably paying pretty close to that. So, you know, the cost of watching football from a fan's point of view has risen in line with, uh, broadly in line with wages. But uh, our everyday uh, products have, uh, fortunately, um, are a lot cheaper. Hmm. That's very interesting, Kieran. Um, I, I look. For, I, I, I'm sure we will get many requests from people with specific products asking how much a jar of jam would cost these days. <laughs> um, it's interview time, Kieran. Uh, Tom Markham is head of strategic business development at SI who make football manager and he's producer of a brilliant new football film called Kaiser. But even more importantly, he's now a director at Wigan athletic following the Bahraini takeover of the club. And we talked to Tom about all of those things. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Apart from that very impressive CV, you also hold an MBA in football industries from the University of Liverpool, don't you? So don't be too nervous around Kieran. He's calmed down a lot since those days. <laughs> well, Kieran was actually uh, after my time, unfortunately, but we have, uh, we've spoken on many of occasions at the university. Of course you have, and I was, I, I'm genuinely impressed to see that you presented the Premier League's best dissertation. That's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, well, I think that, I don't know if that's still the case, but yeah, the Premier League sponsored it at, at, at that yeah. time, and uh, a lot of the work focused on the valuation of football clubs, which Kieran has been very close to as well. Of course. Um, the reason I'm so impressed about that is that from pod to pod, I can't keep in my head what amortisation means. So to have somebody on who's done the best dissertation. Look, Tom, it's it's particularly good to speak to you because we've been involved in the Wigan story since the dark days. And and way back last summer, I think we all fantasised about a day like this. Can can Wigan fans truly breathe out now, do you think? I'd like to hope so, yeah. I, I think having got to know the owners quite well over, over the last few months, their, their heart is in the right place and they really do want to... Uh, restore the the club to the to past glories and where they should should be really how did you get involved in the takeover and will you have a specific role as director how i got involved in the takeover actually another alumnus of the football industries mba uh, ollie gottman um is the cfo of the uh, family office for mr al jasmi who is the the new owner mm. so he got in touch in january and said that they were interested in, in in looking at football clubs, but specifically Wigan. And that was in around the time that the Spanish bid fell away. 
and they had previously looked at that, um, but they weren't fully set up to move as quickly as the administrators wanted. So I, I, I was brought in to, to help get the deal over the line, uh, to help with the appointment of um, relevant people to do due, due diligence, etc. And ultimately, uh, as the process went on, they, um, they asked me would I be interested in, in getting involved with the club longer term and was sub- subsequently offered a non-exec role. Wow. And will you have a specific role as, as non-exec? Will you have a brief? Yeah, so all of the the director's uh, positions, you know, are, are assigned and, and they've done everything properly. So there is a brief. My brief is is more around strategy and being a sounding board, if you will, as to where the club is going to go, what we need. As, as Kieran has probably mentioned, um, I know quite a lot of people within the industry. So if you need certain certain areas of expertise, uh, usually we'll be able to find someone who can cover those. I like the way you say that. If you need anyone, you, that's that's the way Kieran says it. That's that must be the Liverpool University way. Is it? If you need anyone, <laughs> what what exactly, Tom? Did the new owners buy from the administrators? Have you bought the lot, the stadium, the training ground, everything? Yeah. So the, the council have actually been brilliant in in all of this. So so there's a there's a new uh, long term lease on on the stadium. Uh, obviously, the training ground as well. The, the main thing is the membership of the EFL and the fact that the club is is very clean. And, it, you know, you, you can look at this in two ways. Obviously, it's, it's, it's not great to lose so many good young players from the squad, but ultimately the administrators were doing their, their job at the time. And there aren't a lot of football clubs that are almost a blank canvas. I think there's only five players that are still under contract wow. uh, after the end of this season. So we we've we've come in we're, we're we're looking to support Liam who who's been doing a brilliant job uh, as far as I'm concerned you know it's such a difficult scenario and your your back is against the wall as as a manager mm. but I think he's done an amazing job to motivate the players yeah there aren't many clubs either where the administrator leaves suggesting that a statue should be put up at the ground of him as well either is that is that going to happen <laughs> um, I, I think Dave Whelan's statue is safe as the only one outside the stadium at the moment. It's a good statue, David. I, I, I've said this on the pod before. I had one of my happiest days filming at Wigan with Dave Whelan, who was um, a remarkable man. And it's why it's a club that I've got a massive soft spot for. Will there be further payments to make, Tom, if, for example, Wigan are promoted back to the championship? No. There's there's no no uh, further payments for any any performance related outcomes. So it, it's it's almost a case now. I think the EFL have uh, have become a lot more stringent stringent in terms of uh, their ownership requirements. So the the ownership and directors test obviously everyone passed, but but that took maybe a little bit longer than than we would have liked. But you can understand why with everything that happened to the likes of Barry. Mm. So uh but no there's no no other payments that need to be made. That's good news, Kieran, isn't it? Because that's something you were worried about, wasn't it? Um well I think it's 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 great news for Wigan because the the new owners know exactly what they've paid for and it as Tom was implying that uh Come the summer, 
uh, which is going to be a buyer's market as far as recruitment is concerned. They're going to be in a incredible strong, incredibly strong position because they've got no debt. Mm, which is brilliant. Uh, Tom Wigan fans are obviously delighted, but how do you manage expectations now? Because if they're anything like me, they'll hear the word Bahrain and they'll be thinking billions, won't they? <laughs> well, I think you know a few people from from the new ownership group have have spoken publicly. And these guys want to do everything the right way. They want to build the club up. It's going to be focused around the the academy. There will be recruitment, but not crazy recruitment. We've seen some very wealthy owners go into to League One, in, in particular recently. One one of whom was was uh, at the DW yesterday. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd say stability, yes. Uh, extravagant spending, no. Do you know what? We've learned on this pod, uh, Tom, uh, and also we've learned from too many decades of being football fans between us that it it often takes adversity to bring out the best in fans. And Wigan fans were amazing throughout this whole thing. So, how do you anticipate engaging with those fans in the future? I think uh, I've been following on social media a lot of the, uh, let's just say aftermath of of the takeover and as you said some of the characters it's just amazing some of the just really really funny chants and you know Bahraini flags everywhere and people (laughs) changing their names so you you, you can you can see that and well funnily enough uh Mal Brannigan who's gone in as chief executive Irish heritage Ollie Irish heritage myself Irish heritage so I think we we can relate to the people of the northwest very very well. I think we've got an extremely similar mentality. So uh I'm sure there'll be some good knees up in in the future with with a lot of the fans. But we're keen to engage with the supporters groups. It c- community and academy are really really important going forward for the the you know building this club back up. Is is that a, a Dublin accent then I detect there? Yeah, I grew up in Dublin, Kevin, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, my mum's from Donegal, and I, I'll be honest with you, Tom, she didn't 100% approve of Dublin, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, in fact, in fact, like a lot of people from Donegal, she didn't really approve of anything outside Donegal, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, I, I, was, I was 21 before I knew there were other counties, but it was, um, I mean, that was a brilliant result against Sunderland, and obviously... This is a stupid question because retaining League One status is presumably vital. But do you sense a, a, a mood of optimism around the club already, just around the infrastructure, around the, the staff that are left, and, and around the players and the management? Yeah, I think particularly with the with the staff, you can see you know how relieved they are that that their futures are. are uh, Mal has been handling more uh, the manage, manager and the players and, and, and everything else. But I, I definitely have seen that firsthand. And, you know, I, I think it is massive because it, a football club can be the heartbeat of, of the place that it's based. And I think Wigan is no different from that perspective. Well, it's, it's strange. You, you mentioned the Northwest, And I think a lot of people who don't know the Northwest well, and I'm, I'm one of them, kind of forget... That, it, that everything isn't the suburb of Manchester, if you know what I mean. And you forget sometimes that Wigan and Bolton and places like that are distinct, independent towns with their own identity. And that's very much what you've got with, with Wigan. And also you've bought a football club with a, a recent, very proud history as well. Yeah, well, considering, you know, the club won the FA Cup so yeah. recently, 
um, it, it is it's phenomenal to have that sort of history in in from a modern perspective. But I think, um, as I mentioned, the academy is really really important. I think Gregor has done an amazing job of developing. Uh, that's Gregor Riok has done an amazing job of developing a lot of players. So that's something that we want to continue with. We also want to build up relations with uh, with some of the clubs in the area and some of the more progressive clubs um, for for you know loan players etc. So so that's something that we've we've been con- concentrating on already. I, I hate this question and I hate myself for asking it, but it's something uh, listeners seem to like to know. Do you have you set yourself targets? Do you have you said privately that we want to be the championship in two seasons, the Premier League in five seasons, or are you just still taking a deep breath after having saved the club? Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go down the Derby route uh, <laughs> for, for this right now. But I, none of us wants that, Tom. Trust me. <laughs> no, I, I think coming in at this stage in a in a, an extremely tight, uh, you know, bottom of League One. Hmm. Our focus is primarily on on trying to keep the club in the division, but we're, we're realistic. But I think depending on what happens there, you always have to have contingency plans in place. But I'll make no secret that that, that the group feels that Wigan is a club that should be in the championship or above mm. and that the, the ownership are realistic about this, that, that this could take, you know, five, six seasons. But I think um, that, that that's the sort of level. And they're not going to cap any ambition, but they just want to be realistic about it. But it's a very, very difficult one to call at the moment, given where the club is in League One. Away from Wigan, Tom, you work with Sports Interactive on the legendary football manager game. How were sales during the pandemic? Did a lot of people turn to the game for their football fix? Yes, Um and it's 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 actually humbling from from an SI perspective. The the numbers were were, in, were crazy actually, um, and it was funny because at different times, right at the very start, when you saw different lockdowns going on, I can remember in in Italy before everything kicked kicked in over in, here in the UK. But we could actually see spikes in these different places in terms of the player base. So there was there was a direct correlation to where you were geographically, and it's something during lockdown we we've tried to to focus. We've worked with a, a lot. I think over fifty mental health charities globally oh, wow, to, really? to just you know get the message out that it, it's been such a difficult time but and and obviously at the start of everything kevin there was no football so we we, we were along with some of the other football video games probably the only outlet from from that perspective mm. I, I suspect you may have been asked this before and i suspect you've refused to answer it but have actual football clubs approached you about using your database because you probably got the best scouting system in the world haven't you yeah well we, we actually have multiple deals with clubs um we i think we're up to 1500 scouts uh globally who compile the data and the, there's a uh there's lots of checks and balances, as you can imagine, within that. But but those scouts, a lot of them work in professional football, work for for clubs. Some of them work in the gambling industry because there's there's a lot of correlation there. 
But yeah, like to, to put that in perspective, I think the last time I spoke to someone at City Football Group, they had 40 scouts globally. So the, the numbers are, are unbelievable. So a, a, lot of, a lot of clubs will come to us and use, use the database as maybe a starting point and they'll feed all of their other data in there because they know how comprehensive it is. Yeah, I just I was just wondering whether it's worth asking for your number to pass to Roy Hodgson, but I suspect Roy's probably a little bit too old school to <laughs> use, to use anything scientific and up to date to attract well, uh, solid hard working midfielder players to Palace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, Palace Palace are getting much better on the data front, Kevin, so you you never know. Oh, yeah, I'm writing that one down. Thank you very much. Um, now, finally, Tom, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm really, really can't tell you how pleased we are on behalf of of Wigan fans because we we entertained some very depressed people earlier on last year. But we don't we don't normally allow product placement on the pod, Tom. Although, who are you by Kevin Day and the Price of Football Second Edition by Kira Maguire are cracking books, but you've produced a, a film about one of the most fascinating people in football and i've i've known about this person for a while and i still don't know whether or not he actually exists or whether he's uh, uh, tell, so tell us a little bit about this new film kaiser yeah so it, the film is called kaiser the greatest footballer never to play football and it's a, it's a true story about uh, a brazilian con man who managed to blag a 26 year professional football career <laughs> 70s 80s 90s and you know everyone thinks of Ali Dia under these yeah. circumstances, but this is this is Ali Dia on, on steroids because actually this guy couldn't play. Whereas Ali Dia just wasn't a Premier League level footballer, but played for you know the likes of Darlington and a few non-league teams. Whereas this guy genuinely couldn't kick a football, but managed to rub shoulders with some of the best players that ever lived and befriended them during this process. So. For me, he's the greatest command that ever lived because ultimately to be able to to have such a long career in the most difficult place to make it in the world as a professional footballer in the golden era when all these players played domestically, you compare that to say Catch Me If You Can where you've got someone who's putting on a pilot outfit or faking a few checks, you know, any of us could do that. And did did nobody ever call him out on this? Did nobody ever just sort of accidentally throw him a ball to see if he could do keepy uppies? He just part part of it, um, Kevin. From my perspective, is that the players loved having him around. He was such a character, and he was almost the epicenter of everything that was entertaining from their perspective. That's why they would protect him towards the end of of this when they knew he couldn't play. It, it's been. I can't wait to see that film because I think that's just the most amazing story. Um, and I also, I can't wait to see what happens to Wigan because I'm really pleased that that story has had a, a happy ending and has now got a happy beginning. So thanks very much for for talking to us, Tom. We wish you all the best with all your um, commitments in the future. Thanks, guys. That was a, a bit, I love I love the Dublin way he pronounces Kieron. That's uh, that's very impressive. It, 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 two things, Kieran. Um, a bit of housework first of all. That film is in, uh, available on Amazon Prime Video, or I believe it's just called Prime Video now. But it's uh, it sounds brilliant. I will we'll watch it tonight. Uh, I hope. Um, 
also for Wigan fans, it feels it feels like it's done now, doesn't it? It feels like this is a proper signed deal, and it sounds like there are people in charge of the club who know what they're doing and where they're going. Yeah, they've they've recruited professionals. Um, they they clearly have a plan. Um, you, you've they they've inherited a, a clean sheet in the sense that there is no debts. There's no there's no loans or or weird amounts owed in the Far East to to un, uh, unusual people to have to deal with. So the sole focus can be in respect of football. And one thing as well, Tom was quick to point out that he was a non-executive director. For those of us who are not business-minded, what, what does that mean exactly at a football club? Well, an, a non-executive director is somebody that will not be working at the, the club five days a week, but they, they will be attending board meetings um, and as sort of Tom you know, indicated, he's very much a sounding board. The, 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 a good non-executive director will be your critical friend. There'll be somebody you can go to to say, right, I'm thinking of doing this. Um, and you know, Tom's got an amazing amount of experience in football from a variety of fields. And I think he'll be very, very good and able to use his contacts and experience to say, yeah, yeah I agree with that. Or have you considered getting in contact with person X or person Y. So uh, I think it's very useful to have somebody with uh, his degree of, first of all, enthusiasm. You know, I've, I've known Tom for a few years and he's absolutely, you know, he's 24-7 committed to whatever project he's working on. Uh, and, he, and he's very smart as well. Uh, the, the, the football industry, and he was too modest to say this, but when you are valuing a football club, the uh, the football industry method that is used is called the Markham multivariate method oh, wow. because you. that was based on his PhD thesis. Um, and that is uh, and, and I used that two and a half years ago to value Arsenal. And um, when Arsenal was then taken over by or rather the, the extension of the ownership was was uh, achieved by Stan Kroenke, I, I stuck in the figures using Tom's model, and it was ninety nine point nine seven percent accurate. See, I was so excited at finding out he had the best Premier League dissertation that I didn't go on to the next paragraph, which would have had that in it. That would have been very impressive. Now, before we go, Kieran, thank you to everybody who's become a patron of the pod via our Patreon site, including Ian Beresford, Sam Hawkes, Robert Stewart, Nicky Piggott, Julian Chenery, my very favourite theatrical producer, Rob Seamark and Roy Nasse, who says, It's an absolute pleasure to become a patron of the consistently best pod around. In fact, I find the show so inspirational, I've decided to retrain as a comedy accountant. Yes, I want to become Rishi Sunak. <laughs> I'm I'm welling up here, Kieran, because I've known Roy since 1972, and I think that's the first funny thing he's ever said. <laughs> I really you know, love you, Sean. Uh, sorry you won't be here for my birthday, but Gaz will drink yours, don't worry. We also got a message from Ted Rogers, who we mentioned on a recent pod, who says, don't worry, Kevin, it's not the Ted Rogers. I actually forgot I'd used that name here, <laughs> but it's based on the Marquis Smith lyric, uh, Ted Rogers' brains burn in hell. Uh, there's a lot of things for younger people to look up in that last paragraph. <laughs> yes. But I, I just love the fact that uh, 
Ted Rogers is using different names on different pods. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> your your sins will find you out if you've got a, a burner phone for each pod as well. You you will definitely be caught out. Don't you worry. And now remember, our pod will always be free to air. But if you'd like to make a monthly contribution, go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have a question for us for our questions pod on Monday, email us on questions at priceoffootball.com. And as ever, I shall pass you over to Kieran for his trademark farewell. Thank you again, folks, for all the feedback. Um, if you could press the follow button on that big purple icon from Apple, um, it, it helps us. Uh, and if you could give us uh, a review, if you, you, can, you can give us a five-star review, it'd be absolutely fantastic. It is appreciated. It doesn't matter what you can say. You can take the mickey out of us as much as you want. Uh, but according to Producer Guy, it does help us in the charts and it, it helps our credibility when uh, when we get in contact with people such as Tom and he goes, who the bejesus are these idiots? <laughs> uh, yeah, we should, we should point out, Kieran, that both, both you and I have Irish parentage, so it's all right for you to say that. Absolutely. That's, that's, for, the, for those woke English people going, he can't say that, surely can he? Yes, yes he yes, he can. Uh, bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the